the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I uh, hope you're having a wonderful day out there in the Bay Area. A little bit warm out there, but it's kind of nice. Maybe uh, spring is starting to be in the air, but of course, this being the Bay Area, we all know that a week from today, it could be 40 degrees and pouring rain. So (laughs) I've lived here a long time in the Bay Area. I think I've mentioned this before. Arrived here with my family in 1968. So that makes me now uh, coming up on 52 years in uh, in the Bay Area, uh, pretty much all in Santa Clara County. And uh, I consider myself to be somewhat of an expert on the weather around here. My my father actually was a, uh, a meteorologist in the Air Force, and uh, he taught me a few things when I was growing up. Uh, one thing I'll always remember is he could go out in the evening, stick his finger in his mouth, get it moist, hold it up, test the breeze, look up at the sky, and give a 24-hour forecast. And my dad was uh, almost always completely right, even when the people on uh, the evening news turned out to be completely wrong, my dad was right. I guess experience out in the field uh, as an Air Force meteorologist maybe counts more than just someone who, who sits inside a studio and looks at feeds and charts as opposed to flies into hurricanes like my father did when he was in the Air Force. So uh, I want to do a little uh, public service announcement. This is for a uh, a client of mine. Um, there is a show coming up at the Quinlan Community Center on Stelling Road in Cupertino. There'll be free admission, although a $5 per person donation is appreciated. It will be the California Chapter 50th Anniversary of the Wafu School of Ikebana 2020 Flower Show. Uh, it, it's uh, basically uh, floral arranging, and uh, it's a free show. It's going to be March 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday, from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. both days at the Quinlan Community Center, 10185 North Stelling Road in Cupertino. Again, admission is free. Uh, There's limited parking around the center, but additional parking at De Anza College, one block north of Stevens Creek Boulevard. And uh, this is a nonprofit, so any monies raised actually go to support um, support the floral arrangements done by the Wafu School of Ikebana. 
So um, that's my public service announcement for today. Uh, I hope if you're interested in that kind of thing that you'll be able to go. As I said, admission is free, although they will accept uh, donations to help the work of the nonprofit. Now, uh, last week I talked about the SECURE Act. I'm not going to be talking about that today. Instead, um, besides the usual thing that I do, which is to cover questions and comments from around the state of California, I also want to throw out something to my listening audience to see whether or not there is, in fact, any interest in me expanding my legal services to cover what I'm about to talk about. Now, uh, I will preface what I'm about to say by, by saying I do not own myself uh, any working firearms. I have an antique rifle uh, from the British Army. I have uh, an old target pistol that belonged to my father that I don't even know where the magazines are for it. So it's a semi-automatic 22 pistol that really can't be fired because I have no clips for it. And uh, and I also have an old single single-barreled shotgun that's all rusted out that also belonged to my father. Now, I find in my practice that I have some people who come in and they want me to do estate planning for them. And in the course of our discussions, I discover that they have a collection of firearms. It could be a collection of antique firearms, but more likely it's a collection of more modern firearms, whether it's revolvers and semi-automatic handguns, whether it's single-shot rifles, semi-automatic rifles, um, such as AR-15s and similar to that. And uh, we get into a discussion in those meetings about how you have to be extremely careful here in California if you own firearms that uh, only the person who is legally authorized and registered to that firearm legally can carry it around and transport it in an approved manner and that you can't kind of loan the firearms to uh, even a son or daughter or a neighbor or something like that, because in doing so, you may be actually committing a felony under California law, and the and the person receiving and using the firearm may be committing a felony as well. So one of the things that can deal with that issue of being able to have a firearm collection available for use by family member or friends, for that matter, and then also successfully passing it on at death is something called a firearms trust. I attended a a webinar about a week and a half ago uh, given by uh, some prominent members of the estate planning community uh, from an organization that I'm likely going to be joining. And one of the things that uh, we talked about and what it was all about was about gun trusts, uh, gun trusts to deal with uh, firearms that are registered under the National Firearms Act, but also more broadly uh, other firearms that are not covered by that federal law, but may be covered by state laws, uh, um, state laws on the purchase, on the storing, on the transport and the use. So I'm throwing out to my audience there I've had three or four clients come in in the last couple of years that had need for something like that, but I wasn't providing it. I'm considering now adding um, gun trusts or firearms trusts to the services that I offer. 
I would likely offer it as a standalone service for those who already have an estate plan or as a an add-on for people who come in and have me do their planning for them. The standalone would be more expensive than the add-on um, because the standalone would be kind of a la carte, uh, whereas the add-on would be as part of the uh, something added on to the main course, which is the underlying estate planning that I do. So what I'm going to ask right now is if you out there or someone you know might benefit from something like this and you'd like to see me add that to my practice, I'd like you to send me an email at radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com or go to my website at lawbob.com and go to the contact us section and uh, contact me through there. Send me a message through there saying this is something that either you'd be interested in or a family member or a friend. I'd like to see if there's enough interest for me to add this as a legal service in my practice and make it available to those who are responsible uh, gun owners, firearms owners who want to follow the law, do things correctly, and pass on their collections the proper way without putting anybody at risk of being charged um, with felonies for the improper carrying, storage, or use of firearms. So please email me at radio at lawbob.com or go to my website at lawbob.com and click on the Contact Us button and send me a message that way. I'd really appreciate the feedback. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, at least some people. Uh, if, if you're upset with me for even considering something like that, that's fine too. Uh, people are upset with me for a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the beliefs and opinions that I hold, and I'm a big boy. I can handle it. So we'll be coming back shortly after this first break, continuing on today's show with questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to now uh, go forward in the show today with the questions and comments that I have from uh, from around the state of California. And as always, if you hear something that is of interest or might apply to your situation, your family situation, or someone you know, uh, just know that I can be contacted and uh, asked about that and see if it's something that I can assist a family with. So, let's see here. Mm, excuse me. Got a little bit of allergies here today, so I might be sneezing during the show. I apologize ahead of time for that. I'll try and give you warning so you can cover your ears. So, let's see here. How can you get a deed back in your name if a transfer into a revocable trust was done incorrectly and transferred in the wrong name? So, this person said, I was trying to put my my house into my trust and instead... I did a deed that put it into the name of the person named a successor trustee. Wow, that's something. It also has um, this person listed as trustee, not successor trustee. 
I have the name of the trust is on the deed next to hers. It shows me as the grantor. How do I fix this? I don't know if she did this on purpose to get the property or not, but she's agreed to do whatever needs to be done to make it right. Well, if you're the grantor, then, um, you know, you, you you basically still own the property. That hasn't changed. If the trustee of a trust just has what we call bare legal title, meaning that they're not the owner-owner, they're just the owner for the purposes of handling property and transferring it. What would do? What you do here? What I would do is I would have the person uh, sign a deed transferring it from themselves to the trustee who's actually supposed to be the trustee of the trust. Presumably, it's the grantor was supposed to be the trustee of their own trust. So have this person named as the trustee do another deed transferring to you, the grantor, as trustee of your trust, and record that. And that should take care of the problem right there. Okay, here. How do I request accountability of all trust transactions on my father's behalf? My brother's in charge of my father's trust. Since being put in charge, he has moved my father from his home, put him in an assisted living facility, changed the locks in his home, had an estate sale, liquidating much of my father's belongings. My father was not given the opportunity to get any of his possessions he wished to have. I was not allowed to get my own possessions out of the home. In fact, was not even notified of the sale. Wow. Just wow. Depending on the age of the father, if the father is a senior, a senior citizen, this is probably elder financial abuse. Uh, Just taking someone out of their home, putting them in assisted living, changing the locks, and then selling off the person's property. This is a big wow. I would tell this person, you want to know how to get accountability? I would start by going to the district attorney in the county where this is going on and file a complaint with them um, saying that you think there's elder abuse that's been going on with your father. Uh, Then, you know, let them investigate, use their authority to investigate what's going on. If they uncover this was all done, they might very well move to have the brother removed from any position of authority. And the brother might even get charged uh, criminally for basically um, selling off his father's belongings without any permission to do so. That's a serious thing. I mean, uh, I would not take that casually at all. I would go full bore and say, you know, you got to account to the to the government as well as account to me. You could also file um, file an action in court asking that him be he be removed as the trustee in charge of the trust because he's acting contrary to uh, the best interests of the father. Okay. Um, Let's see, my wife and I have a living trust in the U.S. We're putting two-thirds of the cash required for a house in California, and my brother's putting in the other one-third. Are we able to take title as trustees of our trust along with my brother in a tenancy-in-common structure? What would the wording look like, as I'm not sure if the title company will advise on this? I'll tell you right now, title company's never going to advise you how to take title um, because that is actually a legal opinion, 
and they're not licensed to render legal opinions on how someone should take title to property. Now, that being said, in a case like this, yes, your living trust can own a two-thirds interest and the brother can own a one-third interest as tenants in common. So it might be something like John Smith and Jane Smith, co-trustees of the Smith Family Trust, dated February 5th, 2020, as to a as to a two-thirds interest, and Jimmy Smith, a single man, as to a one-third interest, all as tenants in common. And what that means is that the interests are separate from each other, can be separately transferred, can be separately sold if someone's willing to buy a fractional interest in a property, and can be separately titled, such as in someone's living trust. So that is how that would be done. Uh, What you don't do is you don't put something like joint tenancy on it because that can really mess things up. As a trustee, can I refinance my parents' California home that's all paid up? The lawyer representing the trust does not believe I can refinance since the house is all paid for. There are other beneficiaries, and as per the trust, they will be obtaining their portion due after it's refinanced through Fannie Mae. Please advise. Now, what it sounds like here is the person's talking about maybe getting a loan against the trust so that other beneficiaries can get cash out and this particular one can get the property in order to preserve the um, um, a lack of reassessment of the property tax to keep the property tax base. Um, the issue is not, can you refinance because it's paid up? Uh, the issue is what would the, be the purpose of the refinance? And I suspect if it's so that someone can get the entire property and keep the property taxes while giving cash to the other beneficiaries, that's permissible. Uh, assuming you can get a loan on the property that is now in basically a, um, an irrevocable trust. So we're coming up on the first or excuse me, the second break of the show today, I want to uh, remind you, I have a little survey out. If you or someone you know would be interested in me adding the service of firearms trust or gun trust to my um, to my practice, I'd like feedback from you. You can feedback to me at radio at lawbob, uh, lawbob.com, or go to lawbob.com, click on the contact us, and then send me a message that way. I'd really appreciate if I could get some response back from my radio audience. So coming up on the second break, when we return to Plan Your State Radio with more questions and comments, this is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you after the mid-show break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on the show today with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, I thought that um, I thought that I would uh, jump down here. Let's see. Um, All right, here. My mother passed in 2017. I live in the house. It was left to me through her trust 
but her name is still on the utilities. Do I need to change? I would say it's been three years. It's time to change the utilities into your name because if you don't and there's an issue, you may find that um, they're going to insist on talking to your mother, but she's not around anymore. Yeah, I would go ahead and do that. Um, it's just the right thing to do because you're the one living there. It's your property now. The utilities should be in your name. Don't know that there's a legal requirement to do that, but the practical, as a practical matter, you should do something like that. Okay. Um, what is the better option, a will or a trust? So this person says, I live in California, married, part owner in a business, have some equity in our home, three grown children, nine grandchildren, ages 10 and under, have a mortgage, two vehicles paid off, no stocks, bonds, no savings. I do have life insurance on myself. My spouse does not. Should I do a will or a trust? Well, I'll tell you what. Hearing in there that there is a residence, that tells me a will is not going to cut it. A will is going to pretty much force things to go through the whole probate process, incurring unnecessary time delays and expense. Plus, with grown children and grandchildren, if the idea is to pass the property on to those children, a trust is the better way to do it because then you can indicate what happens to a child's share if something happened to the child and a child didn't survive you, you'd probably want that child's share to go to that child's children, the grandchildren mentions here. If you do a will, it gets really messy and uh, and you really don't want to have things passing to minor children or grandchildren in this case uh, through a will because that just triggers a guardianship for them. A trust is going to be a better approach for this person. It's going to be a better approach um, because it gives much more flexibility um, in, in making whatever in dealing with whatever may happen in the future. We can't predict who's going to live, who's going to die, or in what order. So I would recommend a trust for this person. Okay, I want to completely change my full name. Do I need an attorney to complete this? No, um, you can go to court yourself and change your name as long as, um, as long as you can demonstrate to the court that you're not doing it to evade prosecution, you're not doing it to evade creditors or things like that. Um, in this particular case, the person indicated that they have a stalker who has plastered their name all over the web um, says, I want to change my name to pay tribute to my deceased mother and my father's heritage. So, yeah, you could do this. I, I have friends that I know that have changed their name. Uh, some cases taken the name like a step-parent that raised them that they became very close to. Um, you know, giving getting rid of the name that they never really identified with. So it can be done, and it's something that can actually be done through the courts. Most courts... Um, have some kind of a self-help section that gives you the paperwork and tells you the procedures or the steps to follow when doing a name change. So it could certainly be done. Okay. Now, let's see here. My mother-in-law 
claims she has a life estate in a cottage behind our house. The property is in a survivor's trust after my husband passed away. He let his mother live there rent-free. She pays only some utilities. I pay taxes, insurance, all repairs and upkeep and PG&E bills. Her three adult children moved with her paying nothing, claim, claiming they can live there too because their mother has a life estate. They don't allow me access to the area where the cottage is. My husband owned the property since 1990, was transferred to a trust in 2004. He passed away in 2009. There's no mention of a life estate in any of the trust paperwork and not on any deed. Well, you know what? If he was kind enough to let his mom live there rent-free for a long time, that doesn't give her a life estate. Um, for this person, I would suggest that um, that you, you go see uh, an eviction attorney. In this case, it happens to be in, in my county. Uh, this is going to be a free plug. I would suggest this person go to see attorney Todd Rothbard in Santa Clara. Uh, he is an eviction attorney. He'd be able to review everything and advise whether or not this mother-in-law has a right to stay there. If she doesn't, then he can handle the process of getting her and her grown children served notice to get out of the property and force them to be removed from the property. Um, this is kind of annoying. I'm sure that um, she, the mother-in-law, thinks that just because her son let her live there while he was alive that somehow she has a right to continue living there after her son has passed. I think the answer is she really doesn't have that right anymore. Okay. Um, can I sue the executor of an estate if I was not paid out in the manner um, in the court order saying how I was to be paid? The executor was left monies and property but refused to pay me out of those. Now that the executor is deceased, can I sue her estate put liens or become a creditor to her estate. She left a trust without a trustee, just her son in charge. Court date coming soon in probate regarding her estate. Can I attend and object? I, I would say you could certainly sue the estate of an executor who did not discharge their obligations under the law to distribute monies to you from an estate as ordered by the court. Uh, and that could actually be that that makes you pretty much a creditor of the executor's estate. And I think you could probably sue in that case. OK, here, my parents are trying to take possession of my brother's property from his former girlfriend. We had a lawyer fill out and give her a small estate affidavit, which was ignored. And due to financial reasons, we could not continue using the lawyer in question. What do we need to do in order to get our property? Well, I've never had a situation where a small estate affidavit was handed to a person in order to turn property over. It normally goes to a bank or a brokerage or something like that. Um, I would have to actually look this up and see what recourse there may be. I suspect that it's possible to take this person uh, to court. It might not be able to be small claims court unless the amount is small enough. But there certainly must be a way to enforce an affidavit like this if someone refuses to uh, comply with it. Um, 
and it's possible that attorney's fees and costs could be collected as well. Often the case when someone is compelled to to go to court to enforce something that is specifically um, required by law to be followed. Okay. Okay, a person set up a trust for a piece of property with a mortgage named one of her two children trustees, successor trustee. Everybody dies. The creator of the trust died three years ago. The successor trustee died recently. The successor was married with one minor child and owed back taxes. The husband of the executor is pushing for the sale of the house for fear well, the executor, I think they mean trustee, for fear of default. If the house is sold, will the trustee's estate be liable for the back taxes? Is selling the property the best option? You know, um, there's missing information here. Like who, it, the, I guess the, the issue is um, if this trustee died and was a beneficiary of the trust, uh, did their interest already vest? It's been three years. If they owed back taxes. I think probably the IRS can go after the interest of that person who just died for the back taxes if they were entitled to receive, um, retitled to receive the entire house or at least some of the house. That would be my opinion on that. Okay, uh, got a couple minutes to go in this segment, so let's see if I can cover. A couple more here. Okay. I'm the trustee of my father's trust, and my brothers are trying to take the house from me. Okay, there's a little money in the bank, which is to be divided between my three brothers. What it sounds like is that the house was left to this one brother who's a trustee, and the other brothers are fighting about that. All I could say about that is, you know, yes, people do fight, but if the trust was set up properly, if it was set up properly and uh, and it was left to this one brother and not to the other brothers, then a court's probably going to tell the other brothers to pound sand because unless they could prove the father was incompetent or was unduly influenced by the one brother, uh, they're not going to be successful when they um, when they try to go to court and get the property away from him. So we're coming up on the third segment today. When we come back after the break, I'm going to talk about upcoming Living Trust seminars that I'm bringing back to my office. And the first ones will be next Saturday. Uh, next Saturday, which is, oh, what's the date? Well, it's next Saturday. I'll be announcing that after we come back from the break. I've taken a couple months off from seminars, but I'm going to start doing them again going forward. So... Uh, after the break, we'll talk about that, and then we'll finish out the show today. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after this third break of the show. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Um, I wanted to let you all know that I'm going to be, um, by tomorrow morning, I will have put up um, on Eventbrite, which should also be linking through my website at lawbob.com, I have been, uh, I will be putting up a uh, new set of seminars 
for next Saturday the 7th. Uh, one will start at 8.30 in the morning and go till about 10 o'clock. The second will start at 10.30 and go till about 12 o'clock noon. Um, I'm reworking things on the Eventbrite website, but basically if um, 24 hours from now, if you go to Eventbrite and search for Living Trust Seminar for um, Saturday, March 7th, you'll be able to see those seminars. Uh, they're going to be smaller seminars than in the past. I'm going to limit myself to 12 people attending each seminar. Uh, if you're interested in coming to one of those seminars and you'd like to uh, reserve a spot right now, feel free to email me at radio at lawbob.com and let me know um, how many spaces you would like. Um, I've been gone for a couple of months from the seminars and I'm bringing them back. So I thought it might be a, a good idea now to um, bring them back in. I'm, I'm going to be doing probably at least a couple a month, maybe a couple Saturday mornings a month, maybe even the occasional Sunday evening. So uh, feel free to email me at radio at lawbob if you'd like to reserve a spot. I'll make sure to get you in uh, before I go public with it. So you heard it first here, but in about 24 hours, it should be live on Eventbrite, and you can also register through there as well. Now, let's see. Okay, uh, my brothers and I inherited my father's house and uh, we're trying to sell it, but one brother owes more in child support than he's due to receive from the sale of the house. Can the child, can they take more than just his share of the property? No, not really. If he's entitled to receive $100 um, and, and there's two other brothers and they each get $100 and he owes $120, they can only take his $100. They can't take uh, money from the shares of other uh, other people who are inheriting. The other people don't actually owe anything in child support, so there can be no claim made against their shares. Okay, I have a case where someone moved their assets into a trust. If I name the trustee as a defendant, do I need to get the trustee's name exactly right down to the middle initial, or can I leave it out is there any way I can find out how trustees are named if I have the name of a trust? Well, there's no real way to do that unless there is title somewhere like of real estate where it's public and it shows the name of the the trustee on the title of the real estate. Um, I think you'll find that you don't have to get the name exactly right. A first and last name is going to do it, especially if you're identifying their job, which is trustee of this trust. And if you determine or find out that their name is different, you can always amend a complaint to now sue them under the correct name. So I wouldn't worry about that. Okay, uh, here's a couple said, um, my wife, let's see, um, my wife and I recently bought a house in California, hold the title as community property with right of survivorship. My understanding is with this way of vesting, the property won't go through probate and then a stepped up cost basis will count for the entire property value when the first spouse dies. Okay, so far, absolutely true. So in this case, do we still need to do a trust 
What additional benefits can a trust provide? I would say community property with right of survivorship works fine if you're the surviving spouse and after your first spouse dies, you're mentally competent to now do something to keep that property from going through the probate process, like, oh, putting it into a living trust. I don't generally recommend community property with right of survivorship as a way to hold title to property because you cannot plan for what would happen if both spouses die in a common accident, for example. Then you end up with at least one probate, perhaps two probates for each half of the property if you can't tell who was the survivor, so you can't determine the survivorship. I think it is, uh, it, I mean, it works for things like bank accounts, um, but for real estate, I would not use it, and, and I would generally not use it uh, as a general rule uh, because there are too many things that can go wrong uh, if you use some kind of survivorship as the way of titling or owning property. You don't necessarily control the survivorship issue right there. With a trust, you can decide what happens no matter who dies and in what order. That gives it makes it more flexible and uh, and more easy to accomplish what your ultimate goals are. So, going to be winding up the show today. We got maybe uh, 50 seconds left to go. I want to let you all know that I will be doing uh, my Living Trust seminars, two of them this coming Saturday, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, March 7th at 8.30 a.m. to 10 and 10.30 to noon. Uh, Seminars are free. I hand out a lot of useful information. You learn a lot of useful information. So I recommend if you haven't gone to a seminar before, now's your chance to come have a seminar um, from your host, Attorney Bob Bergman, a host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I hope some of you will consider coming to one of the seminars that will be on March the 7th. So until next Friday, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and we'll talk with you next week. Or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.